this morning, we're, we're basically focused on one verse we're about to run into, and, and, and it's a verse that really stands out. First of all, it stands out because if you've got a red-letter Bible like me that puts the words of Jesus in red, it comes in an unlikely place. The last time we've seen that is we've seen it back at the ascension of Jesus, and now we get to a place way down in Acts chapter 20 where these red letters are just so bold. But the teaching also stands out because the teaching is so challenging. It doesn't sound right. Let me give you the line. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, if, If all of us be honest here, that's not the way we normally think about things. We think it's more blessed to receive than to give. I love the story of this teenage boy. His um, older brother had bought him a car for his 16th birthday, brand new car. And he's showing it around the neighborhood. And there's this little eight-year-old boy in the neighborhood who walks up. He shows him the car and the paint and the engine and all this stuff and bragging on him. And the little boy said, how did you get this car? And he said, my older brother gave it to me. And the little boy said, I wished I could be a brother like that. Now we think, that's crazy. What the little boy should say is, I wish I had a brother like that. But he understood what Jesus is saying. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, there is a context for this statement. It's not just this one little sweet statement belongs on a poster. It comes in the middle of a very emotional time for the Apostle Paul. He knows he's about to die. He's got his last moment with a church he loves maybe more than any other church, the church at Ephesus, and he's sharing with them to motivate them the lifestyle he lived. Just look at a few lines. Acts chapter 20, verse 19. He says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing. He says over in verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me, My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of grace. And then in verse 27, he says, I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. In verse 31, he says, remember for three years, I never stopped warning you. In verse 33, he's so unselfish. I have coveted, I've not coveted anyone's silver, gold, or clothing. And then we get to our verse, and there's more to it than just that phrase. Verse 35, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of our Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, friends, this had been quite a journey for the Apostle Paul. When we first meet Paul or Saul, he's a prideful man wanting his own way, persecuting Christians, self-righteous. And by the time we meet him now, he's in tears and humble and living a a life among other Christians that's completely giving. And it's just a great story. Now, here's what I want you to say. Say to you, it was a journey for Paul. It didn't happen overnight. It was motivated by Jesus, but it didn't happen overnight. And for you and I, generosity is a journey. Why? Because our default mode in life is selfishness. 
I mean, let's just be honest. In a fallen world, we are all wired to be selfish. And if I just do what's natural, if I'm not taught, if I don't grow, if I don't take this journey, well, then I just naturally default to what's good for me. What's going to help me in this moment? And so the central journey of the Christian life is to help each of us move from selfishness to service, from greed to actual generosity. And that's not easy. So today, all I'm wanting to do is encourage you on this journey, because it's a journey well worth taking. But let's start off by, by just asking this question. And I'm going to give you four different tests to try to come up with your own personal answer. Are you a generous person? Test number one. If we were to ask the people close to you to give us five words that describe you, would generous be one of them? Do the people who know you the best know you as holding things tightly or holding things loosely? The second is a practical test. Okay, if when you're walking out those back doors today after this service... If we were to give you, with no strings attached, $500, what's the first thought that comes to your mind of how you're going to spend it? Now, don't get too excited. It's not going to happen, okay? You might even say the whole service if it was going to happen. But what's the first thought that happens? I'm telling you, I, I, I failed this one. My first thought is just to do with something I want to buy, okay? Uh, test number three, this is the biblical test. Do you give generously to God's work? We make no apologies that all through the Bible that, that God includes his people in the support of the temple and in the support of the church. In fact, there's a prophet called Malachi who has to call God's people out because they're not doing well on this. And you know what he charges them with? He says, you dudes are robbing God. Whoa, that's pretty rough. You're robbing God. Well, they go, well, how in the world, you know, Malachi, are we robbing God? And, and he says, let me tell you guys, you don't want to hear this, but it's in your tithes and offering that we're robbing God. And for you and I, it, it's that, that weekly test we're given of how we're going to be generous to the work of God. There was a book written a few years ago that studied this called Passing the Plate. At Landmark, we'd call it Passing the Basket, all right? And, and here's what they found out. Here was their conclusion. Bottom line, most American Christians are remarkably ungenerous. Now, let me just share their stats. May not apply to us. Some of them I know do. Most shocking statistic was 20% of American Christians never give anything to anyone. They spend every cent they get on themselves. That blows me away. The next um, statistic. In the average church, and we, we, we saw this when we did our survey a couple years ago. Average church, 50% of the members do all the giving. The other 50 don't give. And in the average church, if you weighed it all out, we all give about 2% of our income. Way below that biblical standard of 10% that actually the New Testament explodes. That's test number three. Test number four. Are you uptight about what I'm talking about? If for some reason this makes you tighten up or think, I wish I hadn't come to church today or can't believe he's talking about this, he hadn't talked about this in years, that's not a very good sign, okay? So here's what I'm figuring out today. I know I need it because I'm not so good on all these tests. We need some encouragement because our go-to mode is selfishness. 
So we're just going to do two things today. Watch the motivation to be generous, and watch the action you could take to become a generous person. First of all, the motivation. Number one, generosity is God's style. Man, that's the cool story of the Bible. From Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was giving this beautiful creation to us. To the last chapter, Revelation 22, verse 21, when it ends the Bible that says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. All through the Bible, we have this amazing story that we get to participate in of a God who's always giving. You see, when when Jesus said, Acts 20, verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's the great thing. He did more than say it. He lived it. Well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, he gave up heaven to come to earth. Second, when he came to earth, he gave up his kingly position to be a servant. He became a human. In the long run, he gave up his life so that you and I can have eternal life with him. And then he resurrected for the purpose of giving us the Holy Spirit. His lifestyle was a lifestyle of giving. Sometimes we look at the cross and go, wow, what a cool thing God did, man, he died on it, and it is. But listen to me, it's not out of character for God. That's the way he's always been. He loves to give. I love this story out of World War II. There was an American serviceman, the war was over, and uh, he's going, found a little donut shop open, and so he goes to this donut shop, and he gives him a dozen donuts, and he's about to walk out, and he looks out of the window, And there's this little German boy with his face plastered against the window, just salivating over those donuts. Face is sort of dirty, and so the American serviceman just turns around and says, could you give me another dozen donuts? He's walking out, sees this little boy outside the store. He said, son, here's your dozen donuts. And that little boy said to him, mister, are you God? And he says, no, sir, I'm just one of his children. And my friends, when you are generous in giving to people, you are most like God. So God's a generous God. Number two, let's say it clearly, because our culture says something different, greed is bad. Some of you are old enough to remember that Gordon Gecko statement in that 1987 movie, Wall Street, where he summed it all up by saying greed is good. Some of you probably remember old bumper sticker. Now, we don't even have bumper stickers anymore. But it it, it said this, he who dies with the most toys wins. The problem with that is when you die, you don't have those toys. And greedy people live with closed hands. They're gripping tightly, often so tightly they can't even enjoy what they have. In fact, the word miserly, miserable, come with the same words. I'm telling you, To be greedy, to hold things tightly, is to be miserable. Because why? When you're greedy, here's what, no matter if you make $10,000 a year right now or you make $500,000, here's what every statistic says. You always think you need 10% more to be happy. And what greed says is it's never enough. So obviously greed is bad. On the other hand, generosity is good. When you live with this open hand and you give freely, it truly is a more blessed way to live. Now, Jesus knew this was not our natural way of living. 
It was not our go-to mode. And that's why Jesus, my goodness, as wonderful as the gospel teachings are, you've you got to realize if you read through the gospel, you're going to run into a lot of passages on money and greed and, and generosity. In fact, I would proclaim to you this morning, there's more in the gospels about generosity and greed than there is about baptism, communion, and the church combined. Because he knew this was our issue. It's my issue. I love this proverb that we're going to look at. He says, one person gives freely, yet, un- yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. And listen to the last line. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. What's it saying? When you begin to have a generous heart and you're refreshing other people, it comes back to you twofold. So think about these statements. Greed is bad, generosity is good. The problem is, I always drift toward greed. In fact, a friend of mine made this statement this week I thought was brilliant. We plan for what is good. You gotta be intentional about what is good. We drift toward what is bad. So if we're not willing to think about these things today, if they make you so uncomfortable that you're shutting me out, you're gonna drift toward something that's not gonna be good for you. Now let me say this for you. As your minister, I would be doing you a great disservice if we didn't talk about this. Because if we believe just the words we've heard so far, your life is going to be 10 times better if we learn to live this way. Hey, look at one more point here on the motivation. Bring it to Jesus and it will be multiplied. You see, that's the principle in Scripture. When you give... It comes back to you. I'm not saying you give $10, you get $20. You give $1,000, you get $5,000. That's not the principle. It might happen that way. But here's the guarantee of Scripture. You can't outgive God. You give a little, he'll give a lot. You know, Jesus wanted to make this point so strongly that there's, besides the cross, there's one story that shows up in all four Gospels. You remember that story? Let me, let me tell the story. You ever been to church where the preacher preached too long? Raise your hand. Don't be laughing while you're doing that, okay? The correct answer here, here is never here, buddy. You guys aren't even going with me. Never here, buddy. Okay, I give up on that one. Well, anyway, Jesus is preaching too long. And um, he's just going, I mean, he started beginning the day. I mean, the nursery workers are complaining, and the people are getting hungry, and the disciples have got to interrupt them. So finally, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I mean, your stuff is always really good, and this is an especially good message, but you know what? This is enough for a series. Don't put it all in one lesson. Jesus, if you just stop, I mean, why do I need to stop? The people, they've been listening all day. They're so hungry. And she said, okay, you guys can take care of that problem. I'll keep preaching. Here's what you do. Go, go feed them. And they go, Jesus, that's crazy. We've counted it up. We've got five, little sar- five pieces of bread. We've got two sardines. And we've got 15,000 people. I mean, you count women and children, you've got 15,000 people at least. And Jesus says, just give them to me. Just be gentle. Just give what, give whatever. It may not look like much, but you give everything you've got to me. And Jesus blesses it. And it reproduces over and over. And the people eat and eat and eat. And God is honored and honored. And the disciples are convicted and convicted and convicted. 
Because here's a, here's a cool little fact at the end of the story. You probably remember this. Y'all help me out here. How many baskets were left at the end of the story? Twelve. Come on, you guys are really not very biblical today. How many baskets were in, left at the end of the story? Twelve. Okay, that's a good safe guess. How many apostles were there? Twelve. I'm not trying to trick you. In other words, Jesus wanted every apostle to go home with the doggy bag. All right? Why, why, because he's trying to make a point. When you give to me, I can multiply it. And guys, that's not the first time that point's been made. Remember that passage I referred to earlier where, where the charge was made? They had robbed God. Then the promise is made. If you stop rising, robbing God and you start tithing, Malachi 3, verse 10, here's what's going to happen. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Then there will be food in my house. Okay? First thing, it supports the work of God. And then God says something he says nowhere else in Scripture does. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And here's his promise. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. God said, just try me. Just start doing the right thing. Just start being generous, and I'll give you so much you can't store it. Jesus put it this way. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So one of the great motivations to us is we know the promise of God is, I just want to bless you. But I can't bless you when you're miserly. That's just going to make you miserable. So I hope you've received some motivation there. And the motivation is, generosity is God's style. Greed is bad. Generosity is good. And basically, you can't outgive God. So what's the action? Here's, here's what I'm trying to challenge you. I don't want you to get discouraged on me here. I want you to challenge you to start the journey. Because this is the journey. Now, how would you put it, buddy? The journey is from generosity last. Now, that's the way most of us live. If I got something left over, if at the end of the month I paid all my bills and I got everything done, then I'll drop a little on the plate. If someone asks me for money and I happen to have a little bit of extra, I'll give it to them. Generosity lasts. That's the way most of us live. The, the, the journey is from generosity lasts to the biblical idea of generosity first. That I give off the top of my income and that I give people before I know all that I need to do. Somebody after first service just sharing with me how when they finally lived this way, they said, I didn't have enough money to pay my bills and someone challenged me to live generosity first and I still don't understand it, but when I started giving first, I never had another problem paying my bills. You see, it's generosity first that God's calling for. Now, let me help you here. Let me help me a little bit. Remember what we're calling this. It's a journey. It's not an overnight success. You don't all of a sudden flip from giving nothing to giving incredible. But here's what I'm afraid for many of us. We know this biblical standard of 10%. Well, we could debate that and talk about that, but that, that's at least a minimum. We, 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 we know that standard. But here's what I think. If, if I can't meet that standard, I shouldn't even try but guys, there's no other area of our spiritual life that we treat that way, okay? If I were challenging you this morning, not about generosity, but about Bible study, 
Something I would say, I've said before is, you know what, if you're not reading your Bible, at least start with five minutes a day. Just start. Just wake up, read a passage, pray about it. Just start. Is that where we want to end? No. That's the beginning of the journey. If we're talking about reaching out to people with our faith, I might give you a really simple challenge. In the next week, invite one person you care about to church. Is that where we want to stop? No. But that would be a good beginning. And so when it comes to generosity, the same principle is true. Just start. If you're part of that 50% not giving, next Sunday, give. Just, just start and be consistent. And, and here's what the Apostle Paul would say. You need to start and you need to grow in the grace of giving. Because in the long run, we want generosity first to be our lifestyle. Because, guys, I don't care what your income level is today. We all have an excuse of why not. If, if, if you're living, you know, really tightly, you can say, when I get enough money, I'll do it. If, if you've got lots of money, you think, oh, my goodness, if I really, if I really started at 10%, that'd be crazy. In fact, there's a, a famous minister who was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate named Peter Marshall. And he had been teaching this, and a man came up to me and said, I know what the Bible teaches about generosity, but I'm a very wealthy man. No way I can be generous with my extreme wealth. In fact, if I did, it would be outrageous the amount I would give. And Marshall was pretty wise. So he said, I understand that. In fact, I really get that. Can we pray about that? And so they bow to pray, and here's the prayer of Peter Marshall. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would reduce this man's salary back to the place he can afford to be generous. We don't want that prayer, do we? Guys, God, wherever, it, this, is, you know, this is not one of those messages that's to this peak group of people, but not the, this message is to every one of us, no matter where we are. The challenge, here's my final challenge, here's the action. Practice generosity until it becomes your go-to lifestyle. You see, because it won't start that way. Remember, our go-to mode is selfishness. But, but what you do is you practice until it becomes natural. We understand that. We understand that, that all of us, a football team, if it's going to be good, they've got to have that go-to play. It's third and one, and they've got to get that one yard. And they know who their best blocker is, their, their best back is, and the best side to go. And they run that play because it's their go-to play. If it's a basketball team, you know your best shooter, you know his best spot on the court, you know how the best get him the ball so he can shoot it. You've got a go-to play. If you play the piano and you show up at someone's house and they've got a piano, they go, man, I hear you know how to play the piano. Would you please play it for me? You've probably got a go-to song that you would just immediately play. As a preacher, you better have a go-to sermon because somebody's going shock you and ask you to preach someday. I'll never forget when my daughter Lindsay was graduating from ACA. I'm sitting in the audience just going to enjoy my daughter's graduation. And, and I'm sitting about two-thirds way, and about five minutes before the program's supposed to start, Al Milligan walks up to me and said, buddy, the speaker's not showing up. They want you to speak. And I just laughed. I thought it was just a typical Al Milligan prank, okay? He said, no, they really do. I go, man, I don't even have my Bible. 
So, so I get out of my seat, I walk to the parking lot, get my Bible, walk in the lobby. When I walk in the lobby, everyone on the program is walking up to the front. I go up on stage, they introduce me, and I got to preach right on the spot. You know what I did? I went to my go-to sermon. It's the two verses I like more than anything else. And it's probably the best sermon I've ever preached, okay? So maybe the lesson is don't prepare, okay? Just, just go. But man, this is what's on my heart. This is passionate, you know. It applied to a group of graduates, you know. And in fact, they asked me years later to come give the same speech, and I couldn't do it. It just didn't seem right. And so I'm telling you, you've got to have that go-to. Now, here's the deal. We're talking about generosity. What we want to do is push yourself right now to give, to give consistent, to start somewhere, to grow in the grace of giving. I mean, just begin to practice the right things, and here's the cool things that happen. Eventually, it's going to become your go-to lifestyle. You know, nobody's got to prompt you about it. Nobody's got to push you about it. It's just the way that you live. And that's when you're going to experience this amazing joy in generosity. So let's talk about this just for a second. We want that go-to lifestyle. Practice it until it becomes natural. Now, I want to read a, a verse as we're closing out, a few verses, because there was a whole church that was so good at this. Paul used them as an example, talking about motivating to motivate another church. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Listen to this. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, what that literally means is they were super poor. Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. You don't understand that. Entirely on their own. Now watch this. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Did you notice this? It's so reversed the natural way. These guys begged to give. Paul's basically saying, man, you, you guys probably don't have enough, man. You need to hold off. And they're like, no, no, no. We want to be a part of that. It's just the opposite. When we think of the servant, you think, okay, buddies can get up and beg. Oh, no, no. You know the beautiful thing when Jesus takes over our life, when Jesus becomes our motivation, is nobody's got to beg us to give because God has given so generously to me, I can't help but want to give. In fact, he gives that same motivation that Paul had in verse 9 of that chapter. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, when you follow Jesus, you begin to be generous. Not out of got to, but out of get to. Man, I get to, I get to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I, I, get, I get to go on this journey with him where it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. So this morning, if today you need to follow Jesus, 
You see, the, the cool thing about that church that was the model, here's the, the cool line there, they first gave themselves to the Lord. See, that's the issue. The issue today is really not giving or involvement. The issue today is if you first give yourself to the Lord, because here's the deal. If I give myself to the Lord, my money comes with it. That's not an issue. But if I'm basing my security, we'll talk about this next week, on my money, God's not going to get it. You're not going to get it. Other people won't give it. So here's our goal. We want to move from our go-to mode to be selfishness to our go-to lifestyle to be generous. It takes a step. And today, if you want a, the church to pray for you, or if today you're ready to become a Christian and follow Jesus and be baptized in his name, if today you got something going on in your life that's dominating your mind so much that you don't want us to pray about it before we get out of here, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?